That should be a huge courage to all of us. Amen. It ain't my battle. It's not my fight. That's right. It's not your fight. You can just get on your knees and say, Lord, this is your fight. You're, you're the one that does the fighting. He already won the battle. He already defeated every enemy. He already owns it. So why are we still fighting it? Because we still got this flesh. It keeps stumbling, keeps falling, but when it gets too much, we got a God to go to. Why don't we sing that once more and just raise our hands and thank Him and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you tonight. This is your battle. So when the road leaves you tired and Let's just bow our heads together. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, just hearing outside a siren go by, emergency somewhere, somebody in need, Father, that's the best the response the world has to offer. But Lord, we've come tonight because we have a need in our hearts. Lord, it's not something that can wait for another day. It's not something that we can just keep putting off, but we're hungering, we're thirsting for righteousness, Lord. And the scripture says we shall be filled. Lord, you put something in us, Lord, a predestinated seed. Lord, you filled us with the Holy Ghost, Lord, that it's thumping within us, Lord, pushing out, Lord, that it can't wait, it can't be put off. We're calling a spiritual 911, saying, Lord, come and take us home. We want to be with you, Jesus. Lord, we want to serve you, Father. We want to stand in your presence, Lord. We want to sit at your feet, oh God. We want to sup with you. We want to have fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, tonight we don't approach it lightly, Lord. But Father, that you are here to meet every need. You're here to fight every battle. You're here to set every captive free, Lord. You're here to answer every question. Father, we thank you for the service this morning. Lord, how you spoke to our hearts, Lord. Hearing testimonies back already, how you answered questions, how you confirmed words. Lord, may you move again supernaturally tonight. Father, that's not anything a man can do, but Lord, it requires you, the King of Kings, to come down. Lord, we just give ourselves to you now. We surrender our all, Lord, to your headship tonight, asking, Lord, that you would have the preeminence. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jeffrey and the musicians.
Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, turn to the book of Psalms. While you're turning, I'll just make a couple of announcements for everyone. The first one is just concerning those that are listening in and, and those that are here to reiterate if there's any spots available on the day of a service. So this afternoon, if there would have been a spot available tonight. So if there's any spots available on the day the service is taking place. And there are bookings available if anyone wishes to attend. If there's spots available in those last few hours before the service, it would also be acceptable for the service team to book those last minute spots for you. So if you log online just a couple hours before service and there's an available spot, take that spot. Don't wait for someone else to say, well, maybe, no. Take that spot. Say, Lord, this is just for me. This is my blessing. Amen. Amen. Also, just in the, I'll say it now because I'll probably forget afterwards, but as if when we're dismissing, please wait for the deacon to dismiss you. After we close the service, don't just run out right away. There'll be a deacon come from the back to the front and dismiss everyone in order, in order to maintain uh, government regulations. Amen. Psalms chapter 95. I want to take perhaps a strange title tonight, and I want to title it Silencing a Dead Man. Silencing a Dead Man. And I want to just start here in Psalms chapter 95. Really, we're going to carry on from last Sunday morning in the voice of the seed. And if I had another title tonight, it would have been the voice to the seed. But uh, we'll take the title, Silencing a Dead Man, and just carry on from there. We'll see how far we get. Psalms chapter 95 and verse 1 records, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. And he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh my, he has us in his hand and no one can pluck him out. What a thought as David begins to tap into it by inspiration. It was Jesus and I've been to write out saying, he's got it in my hands and no one, no man can pluck him out of my hand. But he's saying, listen, uh, David begins to tap into it. He begins to look into it and say, we're the sheep in his hand. So we're not just in his sheepfold. We're not just here. We're in the hand of God. He holds us in his hand. He said, today, it's very specific. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, not sometime, not when you had happen to get a chance. Today, if you will hear his voice. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Now let me just say this. They weren't tempting and proving David. They were tempting and proving God. Amen. He's, he's writing this under inspiration. 
And he's saying this, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. But when your fathers tempted me in 40 years, verse 10, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their flesh. No, it says, they err in their heart. And it says, and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Amen. May the Lord have a blessing to the word. You may have your seats. So we just begin here tonight and start out in the first few verses here. You notice it sounds like a lot of noise going on. Sing a psalm. Rejoice. Lift up the praises of God. There's no God like him. He's above all the other gods. He's a great king above all other gods. He's above everything else. He deserves our worship. You don't worship him in silence. There's a noise to worship. There's a noise to sing. You, you were sitting here a few moments ago and some of you were at the instruments. The instruments were not silent. They were making noise. They were making joyful noise. There was those of us that, were, that needed to sing and they, we were singing and what was going on? It was a noise that was going forth. It was a joyful noise to the Lord. Worship had to be a part of it, but they were worshiping for a reason. They're worshiping, the scripture says, let us make a joyful noise to who? The rock of our salvation. In other words, to the reason that we are saved. Let's worship him because he has saved us, because he's the rock of our salvation, because no one can pluck us from his hand. We're the sheep of his hand. We're the people of his pasture. It almost seems like he got those backwards, but he sure didn't. We're the people of his pasture. We're within his borders. However, we are sheep in his hand. We follow where he leads. Amen. There's a noise of freedom. And furthermore, in the second half of this scripture, it seems to turn completely around when it talks about the children of Israel who hardened their heart. It wasn't that they suddenly just lived any kind of life in their flesh and did whatever they wanted. No, there was a hinder part, but there was a good part too. But out of all of the good and all of the bad, too went over because the rest of them hardened their heart. And, he, and so we find that in this is a lesson that it is, a, it is to tempt God, to tempt him to kindle his wrath to, to, by hardening your heart by unbelief, which that unbelief would cause you to look back to the, to the chains that, that, that once bound you or to even notice those chains. I shared with the brothers on Friday, this thought came to me on Wednesday night as Brother Maxwell was preaching. As I, I just wrote it down real quick, the thought was the unnoticed sound of fallen chains. The unnoticed sounds because chains, if you drop chains, heavy metal onto the ground, it makes a lot of noise. If you were just to go out tonight and pick up some heavy chains and throw it on the ground, you'd find it made a lot of clanging, a lot of sound, a lot of things going on. But if those chains were binding you, if you were bound by those chains and suddenly those chains are loosed and they hit the ground and they make all of those noise, you don't care about the noise. You're concerned about the freedom that you now have because you were once bound, but now you're free. So the noise that is noticed is not the falling chains. The noise that is noticed is the praise from your mouth. Hallelujah. Oh my, we find the children of Israel, if you put the scripture of Exodus chapter 32 up there, 
when they came, and this is when they just got, got out of Egypt, and we find Moses went up. He went up into the mountain, and he was up there for so long, they began to look, and they said, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down of the mount, the people gathered themselves together around Aaron and said unto him, make us gods. Which shall, go up, which shall go before us. For as with this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. Notice what they're doing right away. They're looking back to Egypt. They begin to look back to the chains that once bound them. They begin to look back to that and say, who really freed us from that? They forgot the thankfulness of the chain of the one who loosed the chains. And instead they look back to the chains and said, we don't care about the worship. We care about the chains. Mind, you look at another scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 1. This is the, Moses speaking about the, twi- the, 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 the spies going over to the promised land. And he says this about it. And he says, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us out of the land of Egypt and delivered us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Think about it. You've been in bondage for 400 years. Finally, these chains hit the ground. And a few years later, you turn around and say, you must have hated me to loose me from those chains. (laughs) What a thought. No wonder God says they harden their hearts. Oh, they could say in their flesh, we're certainly happy to be free. They could say in their spirits, we're certainly happy to not have to serve the taskmasters. But in their hearts, they look back on it and said, but out here we're going to die. When in all reality, they weren't going to die had they just believed the word. Oh my. So we find in that, that God was decided and he vowed and he swore in his wrath that he would not allow them to enter into his rest because they were looking back at the chains. Because they hardened their hearts because of unbelief. And they were looking back and saying, I wish I was back under bondage. I wish I was back under something else. I wish I had those heavy chains again. If you go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 4. Says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew themselves again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. That's a powerful scripture. But here we find this is what the children of Israel, this is what they were up to. They got out. They tasted the manna, which was a type of the fresh word of God. They were there. They drank the water from the rock. They saw the brazen serpent, which represented sin already judged, was a type of Jesus Christ. They saw the power of God over and over. They'd already won battles. And they still looked out and said, God, you hated us from deliver, delivering us out of the Egyptians from the chains of bondage that we were once in. My goodness. 
I want to just change gears for a moment here, and it'll tie back into this. And look at the natural for a moment. There was a philosophical question that was asked years and years ago by a man. I won't mention his name. But they asked the question, which is a question that is designed, it's a rhetorical question that is designed to do nothing more than generate arguments and disagreements and for the purpose of deeper thought. And the question is, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no animal around to hear it, does it make a sound? They said, that's a pretty silly question. I'll be honest with you, it's a really silly question. Because it doesn't matter the common sense they even answer the question. Common sense is, of course, it makes a sound. And then they try and prove it scientifically, and then they try and prove it philosophically. But in all of it, it's designed for a way because that's the wisdom of man. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world, the things that are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things which are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Hallelujah. We don't have anything to glory. There was a question answered by the young people. Someone had put on as an anonymous question. If we are God's small g, then are we to be worshipped like God's? The simple answer is no. There is no flesh that could be gloried in his presence because anything that has ever been worthwhile in your life was done by the grace of God. Amen. And the only part of you that is eternal is the seed of God that's been ignited by the life of God put within you. So therefore, should we glory in it? Not for a moment. He deserves the glory. Furthermore, Brother Branham would take that and say he will not share his glory with another. Oh my, the very thought of that denounces a Trinitarian doctrine that they would look at and say there's three gods. Why then God's sharing his glory three different ways? Say, well, for this the Father gets the glory. For that the Son gets the glory. For that the Holy Ghost gets the glory. No, he's one God. And he will not share his glory with another. No flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Let's just go right to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to lay some things in, and then we're going to circle back around. Romans chapter 7, Brother Branham uses this for uh, invisible union. And, uh, and he takes this scripture, and he says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For a woman which, which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she's free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, but she, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. 
Oh my, that's a phenomenal scripture, but Brother Bottom would take that and preach the message, invisible union of the bride. And he would preach this and he would begin to take it and he would begin to say, you, you can't be married to God and married to your denominational ideas at the same time. And he says it doesn't work to just have a writing of divorcement. You can't just divorce it and say it's still alive. No, you got to die. So, so to be married to the second Adam, Christ the Word, you must separate yourself by death from your first denominational husband because there isn't one of them that can take all the Word of God. Just show me where that one is at. Oh, you say mine. The other one says his too. You put them together, you find out they're both wrong. Soon as you denominate, read Revelation 17, see? So you see, you've got to be dead to that thing. Now, I'm not speaking as a local assembly, he says, but I'll say it this way. I'm not speaking just to this local assembly. <laughs> I've got those that are listening in as well. I'm speaking to all of you. He said, Brother Andrew, we're not in denominational. No, you've got denominational cling, Brother Branham calls it. In one place, he calls it denominational cling, where you're clinging on to some kind of an ideology or some kind of an idea that is a denominational spirit. He says, now I'm not speaking to the local assembly. I'm, I'm altogether across the nation. He says, you must be dead to your first husband if you're united to Christ. And still married to a denomination, you're an adulteress. You are Laodicea. He said, a church across the nations, we've, we've, we're following Jesus Christ, the word to be in the bride. You have to be remarried to the word of God, which is Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. As long as you hold to man's traditions of denominations, you are called in God's Word an adulteress. As long as your denominational creed seeker, there it puts it everywhere, a denominational creed seeker, then a comma, belonging to a denominational church that denies the Word, you are an adulteress. Jesus said you cannot serve two gods at the same time. You either serve God or mammon. Mammon is the world. He that loves the world, the things of the world, the love of God is not even in him. The seed of God can't be in him at the same time. The love of God, the love of the world is in there. When the seed of God is operating through you, that's the word of God. When the love, the love of the world can't be in there at the same time, now, where's the short hair, the shorts, the pants, the painted face? Where is it all at? He said, you can't be virtuous to Christ, the word of God, and serve a man-made denomination at the same time. It's contrary to the word. Paul says so in Romans chapter 7. Now, think on this for a moment. If a woman has a living husband, she must remain single and not remarry. If she does remarry with a living husband, she'd be called an adulteress. But if the first husband is dead... Then she's free. If the first husband is dead, then she'd be free. Now, I need to take this into the spiritual. If the first man, if the first husband be dead because we were born in sin, shaped iniquity, we came into this world speaking lies. Our first nature was a serpent desire. That we desired those things. We desired to live that nobody had to teach you how to lie, how to steal, how to cheat. Those things just came naturally because that was your nature from your first birth. But that man, as the scripture said, has to die. You have to die out to those desires, to die out to that man in order to be married to Jesus Christ. Now, 
The old man of sin, which is unbelief, has to die. That's the trouble the children of Israel were having. They were having trouble putting that to death. They kept trying to divorce it. Every time a miracle would come down and they would get to, oh, there would be a mighty revival happening. There'd be water coming from the rock. They'd be worshiping and drinking and everything would be wonderful. And it would be like everything was great. There was a move of God on an outside level. But as soon as it came down to a hard time again, they started looking back to the old man again. They started looking back to the old chains, the old bonds, and saying, we want that back again because at least we had food to eat. At least we had this. At least we had that. My. But the old man has got to die. He no longer has a voice to be heard. A dead man doesn't speak. So here I'll pose to you a more conclusive question than that of the philosophers. If the old man says something, but there's no desire to fulfill it, to fulfill the saying, does it have a voice? There's my philosophical question for the night. If the old man that's dead says something, but there's no desire in you to fulfill it, does he have a voice? Because a voice is not just something that just speaks out. A voice is something that is heard, that is listened to, that has an influence, that has an impact upon something. We have still have a flesh that can speak words and we communicate, we contact, as we heard this morning, this realm with this flesh. We need it to contact this world, this earthly realm, and all those things. But if there's no desire to fulfill the, 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 the original desire that you were born by by your first birth, if that man dies and there's a new desire, in you, is there a voice anymore? No, sir, there isn't a voice anymore. It might, it might have sounds coming out of its mouth. There might be a tree fall in the forest, but it doesn't mean anything anymore. Oh, hallelujah. If we could just catch that and understand that for a moment, I'll say it another way to you. You are not a thought generator. Our brains do not generate thoughts. We process thoughts because we're living as much as this, this body contacts through see, taste, feel, smell, and hear this realm. We're living in a spirit world. And there is thoughts coming from the devil and from demons that are, in, that are trying to infiltrate your spirit. Think about this for a moment. Here you have an unredeemed flesh and you've got a redeemed soul. Stuck in the middle of all that is a spirit. That's why Brother Brown says it's the greatest battle ever fought. It's in the mind, which is in the spirit. Because it's stuck right in between this world and this world. An eternity and a time. It's stuck in the middle and it's warring against each other. So here you have thoughts coming from out here. Thoughts of the devil trying to say, do this, do this. But when you're dead to that, it no longer has a voice in your life. Because there's something on the inside that's eternal. That's pushing out. And it has a voice in your life. Oh, that's the voice to the seed. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Brother Branham says in prayer, he says, let every unclean spirit in these people, every spirit of doubting, every spirit of fear, every denominational cling, every habit, every sickness, every disease. Think about where he puts that. It's like reading in the Bible where it talks about what men would be, false accusers and lovers of their own self and despisers of those that are good and all these things. And it puts some things in there that don't seem so bad. 
Here, Brother Bradham, in prayer, he just means to pray for the people. It's in the message. The seed is not air with the shuck. And he gets to say every doubting spirit. We say, oh, it's terrible. Every spirit of fear, oh, that's terrible. We don't want that. Every habit, we don't want habits. We don't want bad habits that's taken us in the wrong directions. We don't want every sickness, every disease. But in the middle of all that, he says, every denominational cling. What's a cling? It's something that's latched onto you. It's clinging onto you. It's an idea that's pulling you and clinging onto you, not letting you go. Yeah. Or vice versa, you're not letting it go. Right. He puts it right in the middle and says, Lord, let it leave the people in the name of Jesus Christ. May it come out of this group of people. Why? Why could the children of Israel not go in? It's because of unbelief. Every time they doubted the word of God, they turned them back to their first state. Every time they doubted, they started to talk about Egypt. They started to talk about the leeks and the garlics. They started to talk about the old things. They didn't mind the sound of the chains anymore. They didn't mind all of the bondage anymore because they had something else in the outside flesh. But of all things, it was not satisfying because when they were in that state, there was a cry where God said to Moses from the burning bush, I've heard the cries of my people and I have come down to deliver them. So it wasn't that they were silent. No, there was in their heart, they were crying out for deliverance and God answered that cry. And then they turned right back around and said, we want to go back to that because it was easier on the flesh. It was easier on the spirit. It's not such a battle all the time. Why? First husband. Oh, do these things really happen? The message, absolutely they do. There's a difference between living by revelation and living by rules. I spoke to the young people at the beginning of this year, I believe it was, maybe it was the end of last year. I said, you know, to some of you, it's not exactly a revelation, these sisters, not to cut your hair. You do it because that's the way you're raised. But when it really comes down and it's revelation to you, that you know that you can look in the scripture and say, God is telling me, not mommy telling me, not daddy telling me, but it's something that's real on the inside. My hair is given to me for my covering. I can't cut it anymore. I won't ever want to cut it. Then there's something that takes hold, and then when someone asks you a question, says, why do you got long hair? The answer doesn't come back and say, oh, because I like it that way. But there's an answer because it's burning in your heart because it's a revelation. It's the same way for brothers. Why don't you curse, young man? Why don't you curse? Oh, I just like to talk nice. Oh, brother. That ain't why you don't curse. You don't curse because there's something in your heart that convicts you that says don't talk like that. Don't speak this way. It's not pleasing to the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, I'd appreciate it if you don't take the name of my Lord in vain. See, why would you stand up for something like that, Brother Andrew? Why? Simple, because it's burning in my heart. It's a revelation to me, and it hurts. My, when you're in Christ Jesus and someone takes a stab at Christ, it hurts. When you're not in Christ Jesus and someone takes a stab at him, it's like, oh, it wasn't so bad. But when it's you personally, now it becomes personal. What is a new birth? It's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, my. 
It's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not something from somebody else. So if it's personal, then that means when there's an attack on the message, when there's an attack on Jesus, it's a personal attack. It's not something we look at and say, oh, that's, oh, that's too bad. No, it becomes so personal. It's, no, you're talking about me. It's not just my Lord. It's me because I and he are one. We've become something where it's no longer, I can't talk about God that way. I can't joke about it anymore. I can't tell those dirty jokes. I can't say those old swear words. I can't wear those super short skirts. I can't wear those slacks. I can't wear those shorts, brothers. I can't do those things anymore. Why? Because it's become a personal revelation of who Jesus Christ is to me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh my, what is a bride? What is a bride? A bride is not one that lives by the rules and regulations of her husband. No, it's not. She's not one that lives by the letter of his law and pushed under his thumb. Say, why don't you do this, my husband said. So why don't you do that, my husband said. So why don't you do that, my husband said. No, but she's willingly surrendered herself to the headship of her bridegroom. That's a real bride. Young people, I hope you get that revelation. That'll make your marriage a lot happier. Sisters, when you can subject yourself to your headship, and brothers, when you can in turn respect her, that she's not living by a set of your rules, but she's expecting you to be the man, the leader of the house, to set a godly example. Trust me, I got no idea why I'm way down this road. But we're here now. God in the home. Personal revelation. God wants to be so personal to us. To when Satan would put a thought in your mind. Remember, you're not a thought generator. You're a thought, you're a thought uh, uh, receiver. Thank you. You receive that thought and Satan puts a thought in your mind. It should be so personal to you that you, it, it hurts you. It affects you in such a way. Satan, get behind me. Oh, think about it. Peter got a revelation from God when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it hurt Christ so much when he stood in the way and spoke contrary to the Word of God. When the Word of God says, I have to go and I have to die for your sin. And Peter said, I won't allow that. He said, Get behind me, Satan. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because that was straight from the devil. You want to talk about human compassion? Oh, that was right up human compassion's alley. Why would I let my best friend die? No one's going to kill my best friend. He's my buddy. He called me. He said, follow me. He's going to make me a fisher's a man. We're going to be here until the end. He's going to deliver Israel. We're going to be the ones. Human compassion said he was right in the right way. But God said, get behind me, Satan. Compassion is fulfilling the will of God. Oh, my. A bride is one that's sold out, completely surrendered her own life to the headship of her bridegroom. Oh, my. Romans chapter 8, verse 20.
Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I want you to catch this for a moment. This isn't a groaning in sorrow. This is a groaning and travailing. This is something happened. It's sorrow for sin. But it's looking forward to something. This isn't looking back to the bondage that once was and in sorrow and in travail. Oh, I wish I could go back to that. I wish I could go back to those things. But rather it's looking forward to the adoption, the redemption of our mortal bodies. It's pushing in that direction. And it says all of creation, even ourselves, we're doing this as a groaning, there's a pushing out. There's something happening. It's not silent. But the old man that wants to go back, it's not mentioned here. It doesn't say the old man that wants to go back, he wants to go back, he wants to go back. No, no, that man is dead. He doesn't have a voice anymore. But there's another voice that's speaking out to the seed, that's causing it to grow, that's causing it to travail, that's causing it to push out, desiring the adoption of the sons of God. Hallelujah. Oh, to God. This is a pleasing travail. This is a pleasing groan to God. That it pleases Him that we would want to be with Him. As we read in the Scriptures, Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise with the psalm. For our Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places. The strength of the hills are his also. My, he's a wonderful God. And there's a groaning saying, we want to be with you, Lord. And the stronger and the louder that groan gets, the quieter and the less meaningful the groan of the old man becomes. Oh, Hallelujah. Redemption, as Brother Branham would talk about and say everything is completed or everything is perfected in threes. Redemption's in three stages. Redemption of an individual, redemption means to buy back or to restore to its original owner. Therefore, first thing he does is he redeems himself back to himself. The predestinated seed that he put within you in the beginning when you received the new birth. By the new birth, he gives that seed life as the life that you were always intended to live. Because predestination points to adoption. Furthermore, there's another part of it, and that's that he also redeems the old man. He does, because redeem means to bring back to its original owner. 
He takes all that old sin. He takes that old man, that old desire. He puts it right back on the head of the devil. He said, this came from you in the first place. You can have it back. It ain't got nothing to do with my son. It ain't got nothing to do with my daughter. It's a silenced voice. Oh, my. Furthermore, thirdly, is to wit the redemption of these mortal bodies. And that is the fullness of redemption. To wit the redemption of our mortal bodies is to finally have the word theophany body by the mortal putting on immortality. In the message, Who is this Melchizedek? Brother Badham says it this way. He says, show plainly. The predestinated is the only one that's considered in redemption. Oh, hallelujah. See, what about those that are saved? What about those that have accepted? What about the everlasting life? Predestination. Those that are predestinated are the only ones that are considered in redemption. Because they're the only ones that have eternal life. They're the only ones that were in the thoughts of God in the beginning. So they're the only ones that are redeemed back to that. The other ones can accept Jesus Christ and they can have everlasting life, but it cannot be eternal because it had a beginning. <sighs> but there are those. If you don't know about now, I suggest you make your calling and election sure. In other words, your calling, that pertains to here, what you're called to do in this earth. Your election, that pertains to you be the elected seed of God. Make that sure so that you know I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. I'm the purchased possession of the blood of God himself. It pertains to me and me alone. He says, did you get it? Let me say it again. The predestinated is the only one that's considered in redemption. The other ones are not even considered. Let me say it this way. If Adam and Eve would not have fallen, the only ones that would be alive are those that are predestinated. Because they were in the thoughts of God in the beginning. I trust we're mature enough to receive this. We're the only ones that were in the thoughts of God at the beginning. So they were spoken word that God made everyone fulfilled in his decreed time. If there would not have been a fall, and the spoken word would have been put out, you would have still lived in this same day. You would have still been born at the same time because Brother Branham said that these seeds, this spoken word bride was made manifest in flesh in its season. Oh, hallelujah. God is his eternal thoughts. Oh, he stretches from the beginning to the end. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, we're creatures. We're stuck in this creature of time. But God is an object of eternity. He doesn't look at it in time. He doesn't look at it and say, here was Abraham, and then way over here was Sister Naomi. No, he looked at it to him. It's just because it was his thoughts being made manifest. One after another after another. Oh, hallelujah. He says, but the real redemption is those that are predestinated because the very word redeem means to bring back, to redeem something, to redeem it, to bring it back to its original place. So it's only the predestinated that can be brought back. Oh, hallelujah. So we talked about the marriage. You have to have 
You have to die out to the first marriage. The first husband that you had, the first one that you served, the first one that you were there, you were born by your first nature. That man has to be dead. God and man, man, and you can't serve them at the same time. The seed of God and the love of the world can't coexist in the same soul. It's got to be one or the other. One has to die for the other one to take life. Praise be to God. So you got to die out to that first husband. You can't just put it away in divorcement and say, when I'm a convenient time, when I want those pleasures of sin, when I want those things again, I'll bring you back again. No, it has to die and be no more. Brother Branham said, hallelujah. Oh, he starts the quote with that. I like it. Hallelujah. Now notice, you're not only that, but you're going to the wedding in the sky. The marriage supper said, you're wearing the wedding band of predestinated, unmerited grace. A wedding band of grace, unmerited of your own. God did it himself. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Listen, so he slipped the wedding band on you there. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. He said, I want to be married to Christ. He already slipped the wedding band on by predestination. You cannot be lost. See, why isn't the rapture happening? Because the bride has to recognize who she is. The bride has to recognize that there cannot be a rapture without her because she is the rapture. Oh, that's why she's literally the spoken word seed bride. Oh, he says he put your name on the book. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's close with Isaiah chapter 58. I trust you're with me, church. We're not looking for part redemption. I'm not looking to just say, well, I got rid of the old man and I got a new man. No, I want to go all the way. I want a change of these mortal bodies. I want to put on immortality. I want to step from time on into eternity. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to walk with the angels. Oh, my. I appreciate Brother Marshall said it the other day on the youth chat. He got a hold of a quote one day. He just started rejoicing. Why? Because the quote being to say, he said, listen, I recognize that my, my inheritance, my reward for overcoming to sit with him in his throne. So if I ever got a question that I don't understand, I can ask him there. That's a revelation to get a hold of, church, to recognize. It's not that I got to figure everything out here. All I got to figure out here is where I'm going to be there. And when I get there, I can ask him about the battle of Gog and Magog. I can ask him about the battle of Armageddon. I can ask him about creation. I can ask him about all these things. I can ask him what happened in the garden and how long it took to create it all. I can ask him all that there. If you really want to be as simple as possible, you can ask him if Adam had a navel there. Okay? Until then, it's really not important. said bring it right down to the simplest of questions you can ask him there right now you need to make your calling and election sure oh my this is Isaiah Isaiah begins to speak here in Isaiah chapter 58 it says cry aloud spare not lift up thy voice like a trumpet show my people their transgression the house of Jacob their sins 
Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Oh my. Wherefore have you fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. It says, Behold, you fast for strife, and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, and make your voice to be heard on high. And it is, it is, is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for the man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Question mark. What's he begin to say? He says, why are you praying? Why are you fasting? Why are you seeking the face of God? Why are you doing all of these things? Is it just for spite? Is it just to answer questions? Is it just to, 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 to smite with the fist of wickedness? Is it just to have something that someone says something and you just, oh God, vengeance is thine, say it to the Lord, have it out with them. Is that why you're pouring out to your heart to God to say, oh God, this terrible government that's not opening up this church fast enough? Mine makes it real now. When you start to realize, why am I praying? Why am I fasting? Is that what's in my heart? That my heart has become so hard that I want to see someone else hurt? But if you go on to the next verse, he said, is not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? This is Isaiah. He begins to tap into the very character of Christ. My, even when Christ would say there, and he would pray in John 17, say, Lord, I sanctify myself for their sake. I'm not trying to do any hurt to anyone, but Lord, protect them as you protected me. Let them be one with you as I and you are one. What was he trying to say? Lord, lift up the heavy. Lift up the downtrodden. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of the life when thou seest the naked and thou cover him and, when thou, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Oh my. Think of what he's saying here. He said, Lord, when you pray, he said, Lord, let the eternal life that's within me flow out. Let the very life of God that you put in me, let it flow out to others. Lord, lift up the brothers that are in China, put in prison, the brothers that are in Iran. Lift up the ones that are here, that are depressed, that are lonely. Lord, be their portion. Oh, my. Verse 8 says, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. And then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and put forth of thy finger, and, speak, and speaking vanity, put all those things away, if thou draw out, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscur obscurity. 
and thy darkness be as the noonday. What's the noonday? It's pretty bright. In other words, your whole body becomes light. If thine eye be single, your whole body becomes light. In other words, if you're looking through the eyes of God, that is the life of Christ that's within you, as it begins to live out, you begin to live by that, then all of it becomes light. It just begins to break forth. Joy seems to come forth. That's where David could write out, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Why was he having to cry that? Because what had he done? He'd lived for himself for a moment. He'd had another man killed to take his wife because he lusted and committed adultery. And what did he lose in all that? Not his salvation, the joy. He lost the light of God. He says, Lord, restore unto me, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Oh, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Don't let me live my life like Saul lived his. Where he grieved God to such a point that an evil spirit came upon him. And Samuel still said, this day you'll be with me. Didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy. Isaiah, tapping into the mind of Christ, the character of Christ. In verse 11 says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like the watering garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. My, that's the way we want to be, isn't it? We want to be that kind of a spring of living water. Flowing out, out of our belly shall flow living waters. And he says, and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. If thou turn away the foot, thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on the holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him. Not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor seeking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Oh my, we really are out of time. But let me take this just five more minutes. He's tapping into something here by inspiration, just like David was writing by inspiration. Isaiah begins to write by inspiration. He begins to look into the mind of Christ. And he begins to look into and realize that if you could just lay aside the old man, all those old desires, Lord, build me up. Let me be somebody. That's the old man trying to talk. Let me be the one. I want to be the man. I want to be the big preacher. I want to be the big songwriter. I want to be the main pianist. I want to be the big bass player. I want to stand up there. I want to say the big amens. I want to bless the old man. Say, well, I prayed for it, brother. I sought the Lord. Well, he says, don't do that. Seek it for your own gain and to cast others down. But rather when you pray, when you fast, when you seek, in other words, when you seek the face of God, you're seeking for others to begin to cry out, feed the hungry, oh God. 
be with those that are down. He says, when you begin to live your life for others, in other words, when you begin to live in eternal life, When you stop being a creature of time and you begin to live as a creature of eternity, the life that you were always meant to live. Oh, then God begins to look on that and your ways begin to get brighter. He says, and I will lift you up into the high places. I will exalt you into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let the mind of Christ be also in you. And the next scripture says what? He humbled himself, obedient even unto death. Why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about what he came to do. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. This old man don't got no voice anymore. He might say a few things here and there, but he doesn't have a voice anymore. Church, I'd encourage you, if you're listening to your old man, it's time to silence his voice. How do I do that, Brother Andrew? I get more into the Word of God. I let the mind that was in Christ, the character that was in God, let it also be in me. Oh, my. There's one voice worth listening to. His voice. Brother Jeffrey comes, he could sing that song, and that voice makes the difference. When he speaks, he relieves my troubled spirit, my troubled mind. Let his voice hover near me. Let it be what I'm listening to. Let's just bow our heads together as they play that softly. The first verse says here, it says, oh, his voice gently gives me my direction. But sometimes to hear that, you got to silence the other voices. you got to silence the voice of the old man. Tonight I wasn't preaching about a lot of outward influences, but rather what I'm preaching about is a personal doctrine, a personal revelation. That it's not something out there influencing you and something out here. Those have influences. But in the end, it comes down to you. What will you do with this Jesus called the Christ? What will you do with this message? What will you do with this voice? Are you busy listening to your own voice to the point where you can't hear the voice of God that's trying to woo you, trying to draw you, trying to call you? Oh God, let us hear your voice tonight every church age in the book of Revelations, every church age had the same statement. It was to admonish the churches to hear what the Spirit is saying. To hear the voice of God. What the Spirit is saying to the churches. Are we listening to that? Oh God. Heavenly Father. Lord, your voice makes all the difference. Lord, we have within ourselves a free moral agency. You've given us the right to accept your gospel or to reject it. You've given us the right to accept the ways of the world or to reject them. To accept the thoughts of the devil or to reject them. To accept your thoughts or to reject them. 
Lord, that's our free moral agency. To accept the seed of God or to reject it. To accept the ways of man or to reject it. Father, Lord, there's so many choices, so many decisions, oh God. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Help each one of the sound of my voice. Lord, to dig in. Lord, to fill their hearts, to fill their minds with good things. As the scripture says, things that are of a good report, that there be any virtue. Lord, think on these things. Help us, Lord. Father, to silence the voice of the old man that desires to go back to the old ways. Lord, we don't want to go back to that. We're not interested, Lord. We thank you, Father, that once that new birth takes place, you're sealed to the day of your redemption. We thank you, oh God, that you care for us. Thank you that you called us, Lord, that you redeemed us. Lord, that because you redeemed us, it's because you predestinated us before the foundation of the world. Father, we thank you. And it's been you working this whole time, just waiting there somewhere in the corner just waiting for us to answer the door. Father, if there be one here that hasn't answered the door, you've been knocking all this time. Father, your prophet said it's the greatest thing. When you call one up to your wedding supper, you give us the invitation, oh God. It's the greatest thing we could ever receive just to accept that. Father, we just commit these words to you. Lord, everyone that is present, everyone that's listening in, forgive me, Father, if I said anything of myself. Lord, may the word, the seed word of God, find good soil. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. When I need him, I know where to find him. In my place of 